0: Today, we're going to look at Exodus 4. Now, remember that what what we're actually looking at is the story about the burning bush. Whenever Moses sees that bush that is burning, he saw that in, in Exodus 3, and then he goes closer to it, and if you remember, the Lord tells him to take off his sandals because that place is holy. And one thing that Moses says in verse 11 of Exodus 3 is, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then God replies in in, uh, verse 12, he replied, surely I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you and they will serve God at this mountain. And now God continues to give him several other ways that he can know that God is with him and that God is going to bring him through uh, whatever difficulties might come his way. But Moses still has that question Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He asked that question. And really in chapter four, what we're going to see is that Moses has a a bunch of other questions. These two chapters really show, I believe at least, the humanity of Moses. And we can so easily relate with him. Because sometimes whenever God wants us to do something, we might have our own questions about how am I really the right person to do this? Am, am I really equipped to do this? Moses was asking all of those questions. Let's take a look at this chapter because this one gets even kind of more detailed, I guess you might say, than the previous chapter of, of Moses listing reasons why he shouldn't be the one to go. But yet we know he's going to be the one that goes because God has chosen him. God has told him he's going to give him the power. And he does. But let's, let's look at this uh, and see what Moses says about it. Verses one through five of Exodus four. Moses answered again, and if they do not believe me or pay attention to me, but say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a snake and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I guess maybe, if anything, this might teach us to question some of these things that God has because Moses is still wondering, he's still asking this question, well, you know, what if they don't believe? me? You know, sometimes we might find ourselves asking that same question. Like if we are thinking about sharing the gospel message with somebody, We might say, well, what if they don't believe that Jesus actually raised it from the dead? You know what? I mean, what God does right here is, is he gives Moses this sign by asking him, you know, what's that in your hand? You know, he shows, he uses his surroundings to show him, to show Moses that God is God. There is no God like God. There is no other God who is the creator and the sustainer of all. And that's also a lesson that God is going to show Pharaoh and all of Egypt but I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. But you probably already know that story, and you probably already know that was happening. But I mean, could you imagine how Moses responded to this? God asked him, you know, what's that in your hand? And then he tells him to throw down this staff, and this staff becomes a snake. Now, pay attention, because this snake, I'm sorry, the staff is going to show up several times. I guess the snake shows up too, but but mainly the staff is going to show up several times in the story. And I'll try to point those out as we get to them, uh, as we continue to read this. But Yeah, that staff is gonna be a very important symbol that God is with his people. Now, this staff would have been a shepherd staff because keep in mind, right now, Moses is a shepherd. Now, he's shepherding people here in Exodus. I'm sorry, he's shepherding um, not people here, not yet at least. He's shepherding sheep in chapters three and four. But in uh, the upcoming chapters, he's gonna be shepherding God's people. He's gonna be over the flock of God. And so that that symbol kind of changes a little bit. And we're going to notice that uh, as it happens. But yeah, right here, this staff, it becomes a snake. And he responds like most of us would. um, The end of verse three, Moses ran from it. But then it's not over. You you know, you kind of wonder, okay, is that going to be the end of it? No, the Lord asks him to face his fears, to go back to this thing that scared him to death and to pick it up. And Moses does, because he knows God is God. Now, this is one that shows the mighty power of God. This is one sign that shows the mighty power of God. But it's not the only sign that the Lord gives him. Let's keep reading. Verses six through nine. The Lord also said to him, put your hand into your robe. So he put his hand into his robe. And when he brought it out, there was his hand, leprous like snow. He said, put your hand back into your robe. So he put his hand back into his robe, and when he had brought it out from his robe, there it was, restored like the rest of his skin. If they do not believe you or pay attention to the former sign, then they may believe the latter sign. And if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to you, then take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Okay, so now we see two more. Miraculous signs that God gives Moses. So and all of this is response to this question that Moses has, what if they don't believe me? What what if they don't believe that the Lord has sent me? And God says, Okay, well, I'm gonna turn your staff into a snake. That's gonna be one sign. The second sign is that he's gonna turn his hand into a leprous hand, a, a sickly hand, and then he's gonna restore it again. But then that's not all. He's also gonna take some of the water from the Nile River. And he's going to make it blood and then and then uh, we see that there's a difference there now one thing that you can kind of notice about all three of these signs even though they don't look like they have anything to do with one another they all show god's mighty power they also all show that that god has the power over life and death uh you know we see that because i mean the nile was so important that that water was so important but then it's changed to blood um you they, they can't drink that blood, you know, they can't use it for the same things that water would be used for. Going in reverse again now, this leprous hand, God is the one that makes the hand leprous, but he's also the one who restores it. And then God can also make even living things from non-living things like the staff and the snake. And then he can turn him back again. God is completely in control. Moses has got to understand that by this point. Uh, most certainly we can kind of see that being a fly on the wall, so to speak, of this story. And we can recognize this mighty power of God. Keep in mind, this is the same God who created everything. He is truly powerful. He is our God. But he's not done talking with Moses. Uh, or, Or rather, I guess I might say, Moses isn't done trying to make up excuses. Okay, so he starts off, what if they don't believe? Well, God completely crushed that excuse out of the way. And he gives them signs. So they will believe. But Moses isn't done. He's still got some more questions. Moses still is trying to get out of it. And in verses 10 through 12, we read this. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not an eloquent man, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave a mouth to man? Or who makes a person mute or deaf or, or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So now go, and I will be with your mouth, And I will teach you what you must say. I love these verses because now, okay, Moses started off. He first said, what if they don't believe? me?" Now he's saying, look, I'm not an eloquent man. He's trying to make up this excuse. And let me also say this. I don't think his excuse holds water, so to speak. When you look at this in verse 10, he says, he's not a good speaker. He's not been a good speaker in the past. Um, he's not an eloquent man, he's slow of speech, slow of tongue. Okay, so, you know, sometimes people have looked at that and they say, okay, well, maybe Moses had some speech impediment. Maybe so. That's a possibility. But I think that that really has little to do with what Moses is trying to say. I think that Moses is just making up some, some just completely fake excuse. Uh, you might disagree with me with that, and th- that's okay. I, I, don't, I don't exactly know, but one thing that I am basing at least my own beliefs on is when you look at Moses, growing up in Pharaoh's house, he would have had complete, like everything at his disposal. Uh, whatever opportunities that that a man could have had, Moses would have been able to have. He would have been able to have uh, the best of education and everything. So I mean, him not being an eloquent man, he had opportunity to uh, be. And we see that he's still saying, you know, he's slow of speech, he's slow of tongue. I believe he's just making up excuses because whether or not he really had any physical problem, maybe he did, but whether or not he had any physical problem, the Lord's answer still applies. When you look at verse 11, the Lord just simply asks, who gave a mouth to man? Okay, we need to keep this in mind because I believe this is so important to us because we might try to make excuses of why we shouldn't do this thing or that thing, you know, maybe you might say, well, I don't know enough to be able to lead someone to Christ. Maybe I don't, you know, what if they ask me a question and I don't have the right answer? What if I don't know where it's found in the Bible? You know, what if I just kind of look ridiculous? Okay, we can say all these things, but when it comes down to it, we need to look at, okay, who gave us the Bible? W- where does that come from? You know, who who gave us our mouth? Who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? The Lord is in control. And the Lord is going to be with Moses and he will also be with us, especially whenever he asks us to do something. He's going to give us everything within our power to be able to accomplish what he asks us. God does not ask us to do the impossible. In fact, God never in the entire Bible, he never asks a human being to do something that is completely impossible, at least not without giving them means uh, to be able to do it. Um, even the things that might seem impossible, God is the one that makes it possible uh, through them. God always asks us to do things that we are capable of doing, just like here with Moses. But there's more. Moses isn't done, okay? He said, what if they don't believe? Now he's saying, I'm not an eloquent man, but he's not done. Um, This next one, I think is why uh, we, we look at this one here in verse 10. And he says he's he's slow of speech. You know, he's not an eloquent man. This is another reason why I think he's just kind of making up excuses because now he doesn't have anything else to say, but he still says this. Let's take a look. Now in verses 13 through 17, uh, we, we get that he doesn't have any excuses. I mean, nothing that works. I mean, look at verse 13 and you see that, you know, the thing that he says, is he says, Oh, my Lord, please send anyone else whom you wish to send. Okay, he's already made up those excuses before. He's already tried to get out of this. And now he's just, he doesn't have a leg leg to stand on, so to speak. And what he's doing is he just says, Lord, please just send someone else, anyone else, just not me. This is where I believe we are seeing him as a human. Because Moses was just like us. He was a man. He was only a man. Yeah, he was a friend of God. He spoke face to face with God. All of those things are true, but he's still just a man. And just like we are just human beings and it's God who gives us the strength that we have. Whatever strength we do have, it comes from God. And Moses right here, he's just trying to get out of it, trying to make excuses, trying to to push it off on somebody else. But he's the guy who has to go because God has said that Moses is going to be the one to do this. Let's look at this within its context here. Verses 13 through 17 now. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please. Send anyone else whom you wish to send. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak very well. Moreover, he is coming to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And as for me, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what you must do. He will speak for you to the people. And it will be as if he were your mouth. And as if you were his God, you will also take in your hand this staff with which you will do the signs. Okay, so here we see that staff showing up again. It's going to continue to show up, just like I said before. But now we see that Moses has kind of pushed God, and now God is angry with him because, you know, Moses has, he keeps saying these things. What if they don't believe? I'm not, a, not an eloquent man, slow of speech. You know, he's got these problems. And now he just says, Lord, send someone else. Finally, the Lord has had enough. He becomes angry with him and he fixes it. He says, I've already got a solution. Um, he He's already coming up uh, with this solution. He's already come up with it. Verse 14, he says that Aaron is already coming to meet you. So, you know, God knew these things were going to happen already. And he was making sure everything was lined up just as it needed to be. There's also an interesting thing in verses uh, 15 through 17, really, I guess, verses 15 and 16 that talk about um, how a prophet works because a prophet is someone who is a mouthpiece, you know, the the spokesman um, for God typically. But in this case, what we actually see is that Aaron is going to be the the prophet, so to speak, and then Moses is going to be speaking on behalf of God. So it's it's kind of interesting because it's sort of like – this isn't exactly how it normally works. You know, there's there's another human being that's sort of between God and speaking to Pharaoh in this case. But it, it's it's going to happen there. And this is how he set it up. And, and I believe that the reason why God has set it up this way is because of Moses being just unwilling to just step up and, and to do what God is wanting him to do. But still, even though Moses is unwilling to do the things that God wants him to do, he ultimately still does. He ultimately does obey God God works it all out and he he makes this this go just as with what you see here we see that Moses and Aaron both are going to be coming before Pharaoh and they're going to do these great things that are the signs that God is in their midst so now let's see because there's there's more in this story and there there's more to uh, this chapter verses 18 through 23 now So Moses went back to his father-in-law Jethro and said to him, Let me go so that I may return to my relatives in Egypt and see if they are still alive. Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. The Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt because all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the wonders I have put under your control. But I will harden his heart and he will not let the people go. You must say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord has said. Israel is my son, my firstborn. And I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But since you have refused to let him go, I will surely kill your son, your firstborn. Now, see, early on in these chapters, I mean, you know, if you want to, go back and read chapter three, because if you read chapter three and if you read chapter four of Exodus, you find out how the next 10 plus chapters are going to go. In fact, you you find out evidence about how all these plagues are going to go and how this deliverance and how the Exodus uh, is going to take place, because God already says it ahead of time. You know, it's kind of like if you back up even into the book of Genesis, you find out that. That God speaks to Abraham, and He tells Abraham even about the Exodus uh, and about how uh, they're they're going to be, you know, the the people of Israel are going to be slaves in, in the land of Egypt. God gives us heads up, like well in advance, sometimes even generations in advance. But right here we see everything that's going to take place. So we're going to read about all of these things um, and just take notice of them uh, as we see the fulfillment and we see God's uh, mighty power. And his, you know, his outstretched arm uh, coming into place here in these verses. Uh, in verse twenty, once again, going to draw your attention. It's called the staff of God that Moses takes in his hand. You know, the staff of God. Isn't that an interesting phrase? We're going to see just how much that staff is is used, and that all shows God's um, God's plan and God's power. Also in verse twenty-one, this is the first mention that God says he's gonna harden Pharaoh's heart. And the way that it's actually stated here is that the Lord says, I will harden his heart and he will not let the people go. We're gonna take a look at that because you know sometimes people look at this and they say, well, it's not very fair that that God punishes Pharaoh because God is the one that hardened Pharaoh's heart. We're gonna take a look at that because I think that if you look at it within its context, it makes sense. And you better understand what it means to harden uh, pharaoh's heart that the lord hardens pharaoh's heart because whenever we just listen to that phrase sometimes we can come to conclusions that it's not really the case um, and just in case that is getting a little confusing but I, I started to, to listen to myself say that and yeah that might get a little confusing to you uh, let me just tell you what we're going to find out we're going to find out that pharaoh hardens his own heart before god ever hardens uh pharaoh's heart Uh, We're going to notice that. We'll take a look and we'll kind of dive into that and and notice what that means about um, how the Lord can harden his heart. And then what does that do with us having free will? I believe that what we see from this is uh, each individual does have free will, but God is always in control and God knows exactly what to do and when to do it. We also find out a heads up in verse 22 that Israel is called the son of God. In fact, in this case, Israel is called the firstborn son of God. And that's going to be important because if you remember about the plagues, you know, the final one is death of the firstborn. It comes back to these verses right here, verses 22 and 23. It all comes back to how Pharaoh is responding to Israel. Israel is the firstborn son of God and Israel is being mistreated by Pharaoh. And so what God does is he kind of flips this. He turns it around and he actually punishes. He, he puts the death the firstborn uh, of Egypt, all the firstborn of Egypt. And it comes back to how Egypt treated Israel. There's a few more verses in this chapter, so let's keep reading. Verses 24 through 26 now. Okay, I'm gonna tell you this before I ever even read this. Um, This is a weird story. It's odd that it it almost kind of seems like you know, what, what are we doing? Because we were just talking about um, how God is going to kill the firstborn of Egypt. And then it's, we, we get into this weird story because you you look at it and you're like, okay, Moses has been commissioned by God. he's He's been commanded by God that he's supposed to go and deliver the people. But then now we see that, that, that Moses is going to provoke God's anger again. I mean, and, and this is a lot more than before. You know, back in verse 14, Yes, we read that the Lord became angry with Moses, but now, I mean, notice how angry the Lord gets at Moses. So yeah, all of this is kind of weird, but uh, I'll make a couple of comments at the end and I, I will, uh, will hopefully maybe shed a little bit of light, at least the best light that I can shed on on what this story has to do with here and you know why it's placed at this moment. Okay, so we just saw about how the firstborn of Egypt, uh, they're going to be uh, destroyed because their mistreatment of israel being the firstborn son of god now in exodus 4 verses 24 through 26 we read this this is on the journey that moses is taking to pharaoh we read this now on the way at a place where they stopped for the night the lord met moses and sought to kill him but zipporah took a flint knife cut off the foreskin of her son and touched it to moses feet, and said surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me so the lord let him alone at that time she said a bridegroom of blood referring to the circumcision okay like i said weird story uh but what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to go through this you know verse by verse uh, at least at this point the first few chapters of exodus we're going to take it uh one one verse at a time we might start kind of summarizing some things as we progress because this is a long book but here in this story yeah it seems weird uh You know, I've got questions just like you do. You know, it seems that what's going on here. Let me just kind of explain it the best that I can. It seems that what's going on here is Moses is taking his sons. um, And apparently Moses didn't circumcise his sons. Now, see, that was important that they were all to be circumcised because that's kind of the marking uh, about Abraham's descendants. That was the sign of the covenant of Abraham was that they would all be circumcised. So for whatever reason, Moses refuses to do it. And Zipporah, Moses's wife has to step up. And in verse 25, uh, what she does is is she circumcises her son. And then she kind of throws uh, the, the foreskin at Moses's feet. And it's kind of this, this weird thing about this bridegroom of blood and all this, this conversation. It all has to do with this circumcision. It all has to do with it that this was the the sign of what the covenant was supposed to be about, the the covenant people of God. And another um, thing to keep in mind is um, a few chapters later in Exodus chapter 12, whenever they're describing how they're supposed to partake of the Passover festival and, and really the Exodus, it was required that all the sons, you know, all the men be circumcised. So here in this passage, we see that, it wouldn't make sense for Moses's own sons or maybe just son. It wouldn't make sense for Moses's son to not be circumcised. I mean, how is that even going to take place? He, he couldn't celebrate the Passover festival and he couldn't do those things that that he asked to do. So I guess this is kind of one final way that that God is, is making sure that Moses has prepared not only himself, but his entire family to go through with this. And, and um, yeah, Zipporah, this this. Uh, This wife of Moses steps up and she makes sure that that Moses's life is spared and they continue on in this journey because they've got to get to Egypt. They've got to get to to Pharaoh. Moses is the guy that's been selected for the task. And we see that uh, uh, that is going to happen. So let's keep reading because there's a few more verses of this chapter. Verses 27 through 31. The Lord said to Aaron, go to the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and greeted him with a kiss. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and brought together all the Israelite elders. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of all the people and the people believed. When they heard that the Lord had attended to the Israelites, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down to the ground. Okay, so now at the end of this chapter, what we see is Moses has uh, come here with Aaron. They're in the land of Egypt, and they're showing these signs to the elders. Look at verse 29. It's the Israelite elders who are seeing these signs. They're believing the Lord. They're believing that Aaron and Moses uh, have been sent with this message, and now Remember who this message is ultimately for. You know, it goes first to the Israelite elders, but it's ultimately going to be for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is going to be the one that they're going to take their request to let my people go. And we're going to see that beginning in the next chapter. So make sure you check back with us uh, next week here at the same place. And we will find out how this goes whenever they go before Pharaoh. So in this chapter, we see Moses being just like us. He's got his own questions. He got, he has his own doubts sometimes, just like what we might have our own doubts of. But let us go back and remember what the Lord says in, in verse 11, that confidence that he says. And he says, the Lord said to Moses, who gave a mouth to a man or who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? The Lord is in control. He's always in control. Even among our doubts, among our questions, when God asks us to do something, we can do it. And God is going to be the one that gives us the strength to do it and the abilities to do it. If we just keep moving forward in faith based on what God has asked of us, he'll do the rest.